Those of you that uh, have heard my story uh, in terms of me coming to faith in Christ have heard me say oftentimes about a lady named Mrs. Thayer who led me to Christ. Now, Mrs. Thayer was my Sunday school teacher in upstate New York, Um, but she was put in a place by a children's director. And so I really want you to understand how important it is for us to recognize the beautiful job that Angie has done. And please do what, what, uh, what David um, told us to do. And I, Mrs. Thayer was instrumental in helping me come to faith in Christ, actually led me to the Lord April 3rd, 1983. I remember that day like it was yesterday. But again, she was placed in that place like a lot of our teachers are because of training and equipping by the director. And so that is what Angie has done for six years. And we want to be, we're grateful for that. I want to tell you right now, as we start, that I am unashamedly going Kathy Qualls on all of you. You're probably sitting there going, who in the world is Kathy Qualls? Glad you asked, because I'm going to tell you. Kathy Qualls is my, my beloved mother-in-law, who on January the 4th, 2017, went to be with Jesus, and many of you know that. Um, miss her deeply, but I can tell you this right now. There are a lot of instances and situations that bring me great laughter, great joy, and also a couple of frustrating moments. So the reason I'm going all Kathy Qualls on you is because I'm, I'm going to explain that to you right now. My, my wonderful mother-in-law would oftentimes come to my house, and within the first five minutes of her being there, would bring me to the side and tell me what I needed to do. She would say, Matt, 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 come here, come here. And I'd come up, and she would say, listen, this window has been like this for a long time. You need to fix this. You hear me? Yes, ma'am. Dana, Dana, come here. You need to get these kids under control. We've got four of them. And there was all kinds of stuff that she would sit there and say. Her famous words were... You need, and then you could just fill in the blank. That's what she loved to say. She would love to give her opinion all the time. Now, you parents sitting here right now understand that you do this often with, you need to stop playing Fortnite right now. You need to do your homework, and you need to clean your room. You understand where I'm coming from. So you don't even know it, but you've gone all Kathy Qualls on your family even to this day. And so this morning, I just am unashamedly going to go all Kathy Qualls on you by telling you what you need to do, okay? That's, what we're, that's where we're going. But in order to get there and get to that point, I, I need you to understand that I am going to confess here to you that oftentimes my wonderful mother-in-law would tell me what I needed to do. I would unashamedly roll my eyes behind her back. And so as I get here this morning and, and we start our message together, I, I just am going to allow you to tell you what you need to do. And so that you will not be a hypocrite and sin, I am going to let you roll your eyes at me right now. I'm going to allow you to do that right here, right now. So, so here, is our, here is our big idea for this morning. And then after that, you can look me straight in the face and you can roll your eyes. Here's our big idea right now. You need to be in a life group. You did that really well. So, so here's what we're talking about this morning is the, the I'm going to start with the end in sight. I just, 
I wanna let you know that if you're in a life group, I want you to celebrate that you're in that life group. And I really don't want you to be in the life group. I want you to be all in. And 40% of our church adult attendants are in life groups right now. But I simply don't want your name to be on the roster. I want you to simply be all in and do life with other people. And if you're not in one, my hope and my prayer this morning is that we look at a text and we apply it to the issue of life groups is that you will sit there and seriously consider that how you really need to be in a life group to help your faith explode, to help you um, as you grow uh, in, your, in your life. We, are, we talk about this all the time. I've said this at the lake a couple of weeks ago, that what we're about here is what we say progressive sanctification. Listen, that we, we're, not going to, we're not perfect people, but what we wanna do is to continually take steps closer to who Jesus is and walk in and through him. And so I pray that today what we'll do is we'll take a look at this text, that you're gonna read the text and we're gonna talk about the text. You're gonna say, that doesn't talk about life groups, you're right. But we're going to apply it to life groups. So I wanna sort of telegraph where we're going. We're gonna be in Jeremiah chapter 17, five through eight is where we're gonna be this morning. I'm gonna give you some background before I read the text. We're going to unpack the text and then we're going to, like I said, apply it to the issues of life group. We could apply this text to many different areas in our life, but specifically this morning, we're going to apply it to life groups. We often say, or you've heard me say, and a couple of us have said this, as we get bigger, we must continually get smaller. You know, this progressive sanctification of living out your faith and understanding who Christ is and walking in him is way more than this message or these messages every Sunday. It's way more than just preaching the word. You know, Jesus, even in his ministry, spoke to the masses, gathered the 12, and then really invested in those three. We understand that as we get bigger, we must continually get smaller. If you take a look at a funnel, we have Sunday morning, we have life groups, and then we have what we want to be squeezed out of each and every one of us as to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. And so we're going to take a look in Jeremiah 17. I do want to give you some background information of, of what's going on in this text and why even Jeremiah would write this text. So again, understand that we're going to unpack the text and then we're going to apply it to life groups. And so Jeremiah is a prophet. He's called the weeping prophet. And here's what's sort of taking place. Jeremiah has been instructed by the God of creation to warn them that they're going to go into Babylonian captivity if they don't stop this cycle of sin. If you remember, there's this king. His name is King Josiah. He was how old when he became king? Somebody say it. He was eight years old when he became king. And Josiah came in and did massive reforms. Massive reforms. And then after his kingship was over, things went back. They fell back into wicked ways and evil ways. And Jeremiah is being raised up by God. He's being raised up by God to sit there and say, I want to give you a warning. If you do not turn from your wicked ways and the evil way, you are going to go into Babylonian captivity. God is going to allow that to happen in order to get your attention to show you that this is not the way of God. 
And ultimately, if we, we know our Bibles, we know that they went into Babylon in captivity. They did not heed Jeremiah's warning. Jeremiah is responsible for writing, of course, the book of Jeremiah, but he also wrote the book of Lamentations. If you look at the book of Lamentations, it was lamenting before God of just crying out to God, why will they not turn? Please let them turn. Please let them turn. He has several questions to God. So, so here's what's taking place in the book of Jeremiah is that all of a sudden the southern kingdom, we call that Judah, he's giving them a chance to turn. He is warning them. He's asking them to turn and to repent of their sin and ultimately they did not. My prayer is that we will. My prayer is that whatever the case may be in our lives right this, this morning, yes, we're going to apply this to life groups, but whatever the situation that you find yourself in right now, my prayer is that your trust would be absolutely rooted in the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that that's where your trust would be and nowhere else. And so we hear from the weeping prophet, and here's what he says in Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8. Let me go ahead and read this. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Verse six, he is like a shrub in the desert and he shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in parched places of the wilderness in an inhabited salt land, uninhabited salt land. Verse seven, here's a change. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought. For it does not cease to bear fruit. Point number one found in verses five through six as we go through this together is the grace of God is seen in his warning of misplaced trust. The grace of God is seen in his warning of misplaced trust. So here's what's going on right now. We have all kinds of sin that has overtaken the Israelites, the, basically the southern kingdom known as Judah. They are not following God. They are following the evil one. They are following themselves ultimately as the text declares. And so Jeremiah comes to them, and sometimes what I want us to see is, yes, there is a healthy dose of the fear of the Lord is a good thing, but here's what he is declaring to them very clearly right now, that you are cursed if you are going to follow yourself. The word cursed means this, very simply, it means a lack of the presence of God in your life. It's a lack of God's presence in your life. And then he says, cursed is the man who does what? Who trusts in man. And so when you do this, you make a declaration or we make a declaration. When we sit there and say, no, my way is better than your way, then what it's a declaration is it's the declaration that you are God, which is a violation of the first commandment in and of itself. It's saying, no, God, you're not God, I am. And Jeremiah comes out and says, cursed, meaning the lack of God's presence is not in your life because of where your faith is placed in. And so if we're spending our time trusting in ourselves, then man, God, I would encourage us and I would beg us to heed his warning by sitting there and taking a look at there is grace in his warning. If we take a look at Adam and Eve, Remember, Adam and Eve are sitting there and they're, they're in the garden and they have everything that they need and, and all of a sudden they eat of the tree that they were not supposed to eat. 
from the tree that they were not supposed to. And all of a sudden, they're out there, and then God asks the question in Genesis chapter three, Adam, where are you? Again, you've heard me say this maybe prior, God's knowledge knows exactly where they are. He's not asking to, to see where they are. He is asking and giving them a chance to repent because of their sin. His question to them, where are you, is evidence of his grace that is available to them. And when we take a look at this, this description of those who trust in man or trust in ourselves, what we're looking at is we're seeing some unbelievable grace by an unbelievable God who is incredibly generous. And he gives us this warning. Not only does he give us this warning, he gives us a picture. He gives us a picture. And so he says, okay, if you're going to do this, I want to let you know this is what your life is going to be like. He said, okay, here's a picture of, of, of those who do this. He says, he calls them, you will be like a shrub in the desert. A shrub is small and insignificant. But notice where the shrub is. The shrub is in the desert. Okay, I'm not so sure it's going to be fun to be camping out in the Sahara. Do you? That's not a fun place to be. Why? Because the, the desert is known as dry. The desert is known as lonely. Keep going in the illustration. By the way, if you are an English major, which I had to make sure I went online to understand the difference between a metaphor and a simile, I know this, a simile uses like or as. You're impressed, aren't you? I thought so, you looked like it. So it's easy, a metaphor does not use like or as, but it is a figurative comparison. But simile is using like or as. And so here we have, we have a simile here. He's like, cursed is the man who trusts in man, whose trust is in him in the flesh, whose strength is the flesh. And then he comes down and he says, you will be like a shrub, <laughs> small and insignificant, not very big. And then he comes down and he says, in the desert, notice where you're sovereignly positioned and placed spiritually speaking, when you trust in yourself, it will be as if, no matter if you live in Northwest Cary with all of the things that we have, but spiritually speaking, if you trust in yourself, no matter how big your house is or nice your cars are, you're going to be in a desert. You're going to be dry. And here's another thing too. It says, not see any good coming. And so when we trust we're going to be dry, we're going to be small and insignificant, and we're not going to see any good, thing, good coming, we're going to be stuck in spiritual despair, which causes us to be unbelievably negative and cynical. Causes us to be unbelievably negative and cynical because we are stuck in that place. And then here it comes down. It says, dwell in parched places. The home that you gather under is dry. He says it again. Then he says, of the wilderness. Well, when I take a look at the wilderness, I'm saying that that is a completely lonely place. It's a completely lonely place. An uninhabited salt land, he goes on for a description. Lonely and thirsty. So my question for you this morning, is that what you want for your life? Because I can tell you this right now as a staff, we don't want that for you. We don't want you to be in a place of lonely, dry, and thirsty, and insignificant place, spiritually speaking. God has desired something far greater and far better for you and for me and for us as a community. 
And we need to heed the grace that is extended to us when it boldly declares that you are cursed if you're going to trust in yourself. That is what we're going to be like. So you might be sitting there saying, Matt, I am, this is my life. I'm lonely, I'm dry, and I'm pessimistic right now, and I just don't understand what is going on. I would ask you to heed the grace that is given to you and pay attention to the next two verses because it's beautiful. And I would also beg you not to be a shrub because you don't have to be. You don't have to be. You don't have to be. Here's the second point that I want to talk about right now. The second point is this. The presence of God is available to those who trust in him. So we have the grace of God as seen in his warning of misplaced trust. We've seen the grace that's available. Then we take a look at, at seven through eight, and what do we see? We see a whole nother picture, another simile, okay? And it's the presence of God is available to those who trust in him. Let me make sure we understand really quick when we talk about the word blessed or blessed, whatever way you want to say it. It's that word right there is very, very important for us to unpack and understand that, okay, it does not say, because this is prosperity theology, that if I trust God, he gives me everything that I need, everything, all that I have. It's a, it's a wealth. You're looking at the blessings of God based on possessions rather than his presence in your life. And that is a huge, huge difference. So cursed is the man who trusts in man, meaning the presence of God is not available to us because of the way we're living and walking. And then he comes in, he says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. What that is declaring to us very clearly right now is it has nothing to do with our stuff or what we have or what we will have or what we possess or what went, it has everything to do to access to this great God that we serve, that we gather around every single week, every single day. That blessing is his presence is available to us. And then he goes down with the illustration, so he's gonna draw a picture for us again. He's gonna draw this beautiful, beautiful picture. And he comes in and he says, um, uh, he says, who trusts in the Lord? He said, he will be like a tree. So we obviously see a major difference. We had a, tr a shrub in the desert. And so now it's different that we have, it's a tree. Okay, it's tree. Now it's, it, it, you think of a tree when you look at that, the, 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 es the essence is it's a tree that starts small, but it grows. A shrub is very different than that. A tree, it starts small, but it grows. And where is the tree sovereignly planted? Listen to me, it's sovereignly planted by the water. It is sovereignly planted by a place of growth. And if we go all New Testament on you right now, we say that Jesus says, I give you water. And the water, if you drink of the water that I give you, you will never thirst again. And so he's saying right now that if your trust is in me, then what happens is you're going to be a tree that is situated and planted by water. And when the tree is planted by water, it is nourished. It is fueled to grow. That's what he says. It says in the text that it sends out its roots. Now, some of you, my neighbor down the street, uh, would very much 
uh, if, if they were here, would say amen to this. But a couple of years ago, um, they had massive damage. Here's the reason why. The water pipe underneath the ground, it cracked. And what took place was there were roots from a tree that was trying to find water and it got into the pipes, backed up the water system, and their whole yard was dug up to their expense. Maybe you've heard situations like that, but the water pipe has a crack in it and the roots come in and oh my gosh, you're digging up driveways, you're digging up your yard or whatever the case might be. But here's what I'm telling you right now. Here is what we see. We have a tree that is planted by the water and that water, listen, that water to us as we know is King Jesus. Don't miss that. And so when that tree is planted by the water, the roots go out to find that stream, to drink from that stream. And in doing so, that tree has an unbelievable foundation. Has an unbelievable foundation to where it can stand. And here, here is when it can stand. Keep reading in the text. Sends out its roots. And it says, here's what it says. It does not fear when heat comes. Let me let you know this right now if you don't already. Heat is going to come. But when the tree is planted by the water, trusts in God, he's sovereignly positioned and planted by that water source that he has access to all the time. And he can grow and the tree has nourishment because it is planted by that water. And I want to let you know something. I started off the message with Kathy Qualls, and many of you have heard me say this right now. It doesn't fear when heat comes, when we trust in God, we can rise above that diagnosis of cancer and even the ending, if that's the ending. In whatever situation you put, you can fill in the blank of yours when it's heat in your life or, or, or despair or question or, or, or things you don't understand. We sit there and we look at it and we go, man, God, I want to be a person who trusts in you, who has access to your presence and is a tree that's planted by that water that when heat comes, I don't wither. Then he keeps going and he says, this is what beautiful, I love this. He says, whose leaves remain green. These are the sign of a dead tree as there's no leaves on the tree. The tree is dead, but doesn't have any leaves. You know, we've, we've taken a look at a lot of trees over the last week, have we not? We've seen some dead trees. We've seen some that don't have any leaves on them right here. But what he's saying in this text right now is you are blessed. The presence of God is in your life. You're planted by that stream of water. You, are, you don't fear when heat comes. But also, I want you to know something, that, that the leaves remain green, which is a sign of health, a sign of spiritual health what we're talking about the next thing I, I love this part right here he says and it does not cease to bear fruit listen to me I, I want you to know something right now I want my life to be a peach tree in August that's a southern illustration from a Connecticut Yankee okay so I think I need to explain that to you I thought that most of you are from the south but I see that we have a an eclectic group of northerners here let me just explain something to you. The first week of August, peach trees are in full bloom and the trees are just overwhelmed with the fruit of peaches, meaning the branches are bent because all you have to do is reach up and grab that peach and just twist it a little bit and it falls right off in your hand because it's just full of fruit. And that's what I want your life to look like when you trust in God. And here's the deal. That's what your life can look like when we trust in God. 
That's what it can look like. It says you do not cease to bear fruit. So if you trust in God, you will encounter his presence and will be strong like the tree, will be stable with deep roots, will be nourished with green leaves, and will bear fruit to, to do what? To fulfill our purpose. And so what I thought we would do after just taking a look, like I told you before, our big idea is you need to be in a life group. What I want to do is I want to take the next couple of minutes here and I want to apply this text to the issue of life groups. Um, To let you know, we have over 20 life groups at Northwest Community Church. They're all listed online. You can take a look at them, what day of the week they meet, whether childcare is offered or not. But we have several new groups that are starting. We have groups that have been around for a long time that have space in them. And so I want you to go ahead and take a look at those online. But what I want us to do is take, again, this text and apply it. And so the first thing that I want you to see is this, is that life groups are a place of faith accountability. And so what we just took, what we just saw in Jeremiah is Jeremiah is seeing that there is a group of people who are trusting in themselves, which means they're God, or there's a group of people who said, and he goes, then listen, if you want to trust in God, this is what your life is going to look like. This is what your life can look like. And so what in the setting of a life group, the setting of a life group is it's an accountability of, it's, it's a place of faith accountability. You see, there's a lot of things that we encounter sometimes that really what takes place is that we're really trusting in ourselves, then we're really trusting in God to get us through that situation. A lot of times, let me give you an example of, that, of this right now. My wife and I, we uh, were told we couldn't have any kids, and you've heard me say this before uh, several times. Well, we were told we couldn't have any kids. Well, I want you to know something that we have four kids in four and a half years, for those of you that don't know that, okay? So the doctors were wrong, and praise God, he was right. And what I want you to know something right there is in that season, in that season of unbelievable despair, where my heart was captivated by this situation, I had a group of people that I could name several of them right now. I won't for time's sake, but those people right now were not letting me get captivated by just wanting to be a dad, but were helping me to be captivated by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And what happens in a life group situation where we wrestle with, do I, I want a job, infertility, I want this and I want that, should we move, should we not move? Sometimes we get distracted on this level that we need people in our lives to help us have what I call faith accountability. Where's my trust? Where am I putting it in? Yes, you know what? You've been talking about that you want a job. Maybe there's a situation, give me an example. There's a situation where you have a life group and all of a sudden the talk is, man, this job is great, this job is great. But when you dig deeper, the job is so great because the pay is three times what you're getting. And we need people in our lives to make sure that we're not making a decision based on finances necessarily, but that we're making a decision that what glorifies and honors God. So there's certain situations, if you were to come up on an accident, if you were to come up on an accident and you were to see someone who was bleeding from the neck and had a broken leg, we cannot just go and fix the broken leg without fix the bleeding of the neck. And in a life group situation, there is an opportunity for us to, yes, walk with people when they have a broken leg, but to make sure that the faith 
that they have and the trust that they have is firmly rooted in God so that we can make decisions that honor Christ, whether it be job or walking through infertility or walking through cancer or walking through pain and suffering and loss. And so the life group situation shrinks down the church that allows us to do just that. And that allows us to be able to make sure that our faith as we go through different things is firmly rooted in a trust in God and not a glorification of ourselves. So get in a life group and help everybody to stop the bleeding so that you can address the broken leg. You hear me? Let's do that. Life groups are a place for you to live out your purpose in life. I love this over here just really quick. I kind of mentioned it and got ahead of myself. But when you look over here and you see that the leaves remain green, your purpose in life is to give fame to his name. That is what your purpose in life. The only way we're going to do that is we rest and we trust in him. And then what happens? We have this unbelievable um, measure of fruit in our lives. And, and when we have this fruit in our life, we're able to carry out our purpose. And so I believe that life groups are a place for you to live out your purpose in life, as it says in the text, to bear much fruit. Because listen, here, follow me. When you bear fruit, you glorify your maker. When you bear fruit, you glorify your maker. The Westminster Confession says, we enjoy God and glorify him forever. That's the chief end of man. The last one, number three. Life groups are a place of sharing life with others. Life groups are a place with sharing life with others. On Facebook, it might say that you have a thousand friends, but if you just throw out a statement, can somebody help me move? You'll figure out how many friends you got, amen? Ooh, I'm busy that day. Life can be unbelievably lonely. Unbelievably lonely. It is my belief that it is in a life group setting where you can share life with other people's elder people and you can fire them up and stir them up to completely 100% trust in him. There's hurt, there's disappointment. And in this setting right here is a place where we can talk openly about those things. I love what one person said. There's a lot of people that are in hurt. Derwin Gray is a pastor. He's a former football player for Carolina Panthers and he's a pastor in Tiga K, South Carolina, Fort Mill area. And he said this, if you never heal from what hurts you, from what hurts you, you'll bleed on people who didn't cut you. If you never heal from what hurt you, you'll bleed on people that didn't cut you. Purpose of my say, me saying that right now is to sit there and encourage you to get in life with each other so that we can heal for the glory of his name and be used for his purpose. I believe that it's much better for you to be in a life group to accomplish this than to be in this group. Life together is better in the circle. The rows are important, but the circle is where transformation can take place. So if you want more in life groups, here's what I'm gonna give you um, as uh, an action step today, okay? Part of your responsibility this morning was to give me an eye roll to my face, and you did okay with that. 
And the next thing I need you to do is, if you are interested in a life group, there's two things. Number one, you can check online. And number two, I want you to go ahead and text the number that's behind me. Okay? Text that you're interested. Give me some information about yourself that I might be able to follow up with you about life groups. We've got several that are available to you. And we would love to be able to place you in a place where you can learn what it looks like to be blessed and trust in God. Because at the end of the day, my hope and my prayer is that you will not live a life as a shrub, that you would be a tree. And you would be a tree not for the glory of yourself, but you would be a tree for the glory and the fame of his name. One way that we can flesh this out is through the issues of life groups. Let's pray. God, I love you. I thank you for who you are. I'm grateful for the opportunity that we have to stand before you, to pray to you. I'm grateful that we can sit here and take a look at the prophet Jeremiah and how you used him for um, great things. Lord, he was overwhelmed at people making a bad decision. They constantly started trusting in themselves in the evil way over you in the good way. So I pray today that we would learn about what it means to trust in you and what it means to be a tree that's planted by the water and the nourishment that comes and the growth that can happen. And I'm praying, God, that in our life group settings that this can be demonstrated, that we can have faith accountability among people we do life with, that we can live out our purpose and that we can share life with others. We are not here nor left here by accident. And in your sovereignty, you sovereignly position and place us next, just like the tree, next to the water. You are the water so that we might have nourishment and health and that we might bear much fruit. Help us to do just that. Not for our fame, nor for our glory, but all for you and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.